Welcome to our latest Copy Break podcast, looking at the legal and practical issues raised when resolving workplace conflicts. This week, I'm joined by Julian Hemming, a chair of our international employment team, and Kath Sadler-Smith, a knowledge lawyer, also with our employment team. Welcome, Julian and Kath. Um, I wanted to look at the recent report by ACAS, which estimates that workplace conflict costs UK employers £28.5 billion every year. That's an average of just over £1,000 for every employee. And also it reports that close to 10 million people have experienced conflict at work. Kath, the, these are sobering figures from ACAS. And whilst they relate to research conducted before the pandemic, ACAS anticipates that the gradual return of employees to the workplace, coupled with insecurity, rapid change and the continuing economic pressure, we're going to see conflict issues resurfacing as organisations adapt to a new normal. Are there any specific issues employers should be looking out for? Hi, Catherine. Yes, workplace conflict raises a whole host of issues, doesn't it? There's lost productivity, the consequences of anxiety and stress on attendance and performance, and also, of course, the management time and team disruption involved when you're trying to manage a dispute. There's also recruitment costs where an employee resigns or is dismissed, and of course, legal costs where a matter ends up in the tribunal. So you can see how quickly the costs mount up. So the ideal is really to try and resolve issues as early as possible before the window for early and formal resolution is lost and the situation becomes polarised. We're certainly seeing increasing numbers of our clients seeking advice on conflict issues. Examples include performance management, so where processes have effectively been put on hold during the pandemic or perhaps where performance standards have been allowed to slip during lockdown, but action is now needed. There's issues with flexible working requests where employees would like to continue working remotely for some or all of their time and perhaps work in a way that's different or more flexible to that permitted by any envisaged hybrid working model going forward. Um, Also, as we discussed in our podcast last time, Where remote working has been a success, employers are going to face difficult conversations with individuals who want to maintain their remote working and employers need to approach the conversations with a view to trying to understand the employee's concerns and preferences and try and balance those against the requirements of the business. And one final point, um, managers' attitudes to monitoring and supervising staff can also differ throughout a business. And this is something we may particularly see with a return to the office and an adoption of hybrid working practices. And this is an area that likely to cause conflict. For example, if you've got one team that seems to have greater flexibility in a trusting manager, and another team that's being very kind of managed and being given less flexibility, for example. Yes, uh, hello everyone. That's absolutely right, Kath. And I think looking forward now, employers and employees are really jockeying position and thinking carefully about how they're going to work together as the coronavirus job retention scheme comes to an end, how restructuring is going to work. And this whole debate can often lead to conflict as employees are selected for revised roles, face redundancy, or otherwise have their reporting lines or duties changed. And there's also an increasing focus on the ethical impact of business going forward. The environmental, social and governance strategy, which is so key to business now, 
ESG has really raised everyone's awareness of the importance of diversity and inclusion of employee well-being. And in turn, this has raised employees' awareness and drawn attention to where employers may be deficient in these areas, and which could lead to conflict where unfairness is uncovered or a lack of transparency leads to friction with employees. Thanks, both. So that the impact of the wider initiatives on day-to-day working practices is a really important point. And just looking now at what steps employers can take to best manage workplace conflict, you know, deal with it effectively and support the right outcomes. Uh, Kath, if I turn to you first. Thanks, Catherine. Yes, the ACAT rep- the ACAS report um, helpfully identifies a number of considerations for employers which definitely resonate with our experience of advising on conflict situations. I'm just going to run through a few helpful examples. So firstly, it recommends creating multiple channels through which employees can seek help. So this could be from within the organisation, such as HR, employee representatives, management, or perhaps an external party, such as an employee assistance programme. At Osborne Clark, we have a number of trained mental health champions who provide support within the workforce. And we're also signatories to the Mindful Business Charter. And these support systems do provide a valuable structure for discussions individually and at team level around issues which are causing concern. Another important step is to make sure that managers are competent to deal with conflict and to support employee well-being. So do they have the core people skills needed to deal with the difficult workplace conversations? Do they understand the business's policies and are they able to access HR support or perhaps the support of another manager who's more experienced in managing the issues? Making sure managers are competent really is critical and the ACAS report makes it clear that poor conflict management can definitely lead to staff stress, anxiety and depression and of course the financial impacts that we've already mentioned. It's um, important to take action early and as I mentioned a little bit earlier issues should ideally be resolved before they can reach um, formal workplace procedures and at that point when it is formalised there's a greater likelihood of resignation, sickness absence and of course ultimately things resolving in legal proceedings and with this in mind some of our clients are now providing an option for supported informal resolution meetings and conversations and I've started to see more grievance processes set out an expectation or almost an obligation on employees and managers to try and resolve things informally in the first instance, of course, where that's appropriate to do so. Um, so that that's definitely worth noting. And finally, something that is quite often overlooked in my experience is both parties to a conflict need support. So it's not just the person who's brought the complaint and both parties need to be treated sensitively and the confidentiality surrounding the matter maintained as far as you can. Because remember, the ideal is to resolve the conflict and for these individuals to come back to the business and sometimes even working with each other. And if you want to facilitate this, it's really important the trust and confidence is maintained. Yeah, thanks, Kath. And it's important to recognise that conflict situations can often escalate quickly, particularly now when people are finding their way back into work and where employees or managers are stressed or under pressure. And parties can act in haste and out of character, particularly under the additional strains imposed by the pandemic. 
So one thing we've been considering before taking any disciplinary action against an employee in respect of behaviour or failing, failing to comply with a reasonable request or to agree to a proposed solution to their conflict, consider other options that might be open to you, open to you including, for example, a 24 hour cooling off period to allow the employee to consider the issue and the reasonableness of the employer's proposed response. Following the cooling off, see if a permanent or trial period can be agreed to test the effectiveness of any solution or to give the employee an opportunity to say they want to do something different before you take undertake any poor performance or disciplinary action. An employee might be worried about returning to work after a conflict situation and here employers can consider trial days where employees can travel in, stay for a while and then go home just to see how it works for them. Thanks both. Um, and that cooling off initiative sounds um, sort of very sensible and progressive solution to sort of managing some of these issues. Um, and just turning, Kath, you mentioned employee representatives, and that's something else that we've seen um, during the pandemic that, that, you know, the important role they play in the workplace. Yes, definitely. Employee representatives and also the properly trained mental health champions have played a really important role for many of our clients. Um, in handling the pandemic. Obviously, health and safety issues have been paramount and many employers have also had to take quite difficult decisions around pay cuts, redundancies, restructurings, and having a standing body of elected representatives has provided an important sounding board on these issues and proposals. And also moving forward, proposals our clients are looking at around hybrid working. Of course, where these bodies are authorised to do so, remember they can also act as the statutory consultative body for collective redundancies and business transfers. That's the collective role. So employee representatives also have a key role to play in supporting individual employees and trying to help facilitate early informal resolution. And in fact, the government is now looking at protection for whistleblowers again after so many who blew the whistle on issues arising from the pandemic have reported being treated detrimentally or even being dismissed as a result. And I just mentioned this because in these situations, concerns could have been taken to employee representatives and it's possible that they might have been able to stop the issues escalating before these employees blew the whistle. Yeah, thanks, Kath. And as you said, employee representatives and other support systems, for instance, at Osborne Clark, we have support lounges for different groups of employees have played a really important role in de-escalating conflict. For example, there's been a lot of work done around the question of the safety of women at work when we return to working in the office. And just to add here, it's important to consider the demographic spread of your workforce. For instance, do you have a higher number of ethnic minority workers in lower paid jobs where stress might be more prevalent? Is this an area to focus on? and where more support should be highlighted and awareness raised on how to access it. Thanks both. That's that's really interesting and, and sort of helpful thoughts there. But and Julian, just finally, are there any other key takeaways on the report for you? Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Well, there's a, there's a very good executive summary and the report emphasises the need for organisations to learn and to grow. It highlights the role conflict can play in forcing employers to ask questions and challenge their prevailing way of doing things. So there's an opportunity here to really reboot your approach to this as we return 
to the office. Employees should be able to feel safe to raise concerns and to be sure of a fair opportunity to be heard and their issues considered. A culture of reprisal and closing any conflict down immediately is not conducive to a healthy and diverse workplace and will inevitably lead to increased legal claims, whistleblowing to external organisations and poor employee well-being and increased sickness absence. Conflict can provide an opportunity to create a fairer and more inclusive workplace in the future, which, as I flagged earlier, plays strongly into the increasingly important ESG agenda. Julian, Kath, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights on the importance of identifying and managing conflict situations. We hope that you found this podcast helpful and if you would like to discuss any of the issues we have raised, please do contact one of us or your usual Osborne Clark contact. We look forward to you joining us at future podcasts on topical employment issues. Thank you.